thepastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study, and the topic for this program is The Ten Commandments Are For Today. I was at a rummage sale at a Lutheran church a while ago, and in the lobby of the church they had a picture hanging up of the Christian cross, the Jewish Star of David, and the Muslim Crescent Moon, and underneath it said, Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And I looked at that and I didn't like it because the impression you get is we all really believe the same thing. No, we don't. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know it is true that there is a version of the Ten Commandments in every religion, whether you be a Muslim, Christian, Jew, Buddhist, all those religions teach it's wrong to kill, it's wrong to commit adultery, uh, it's wrong to steal. And the reason that's in all religions is because Paul the Apostle writes in Romans chapter 2 that God has written his law on every human heart. So people in deep dark Africa who've never heard about Jesus, even they know it's wrong to steal because God's written it on their heart. So today let's talk about the Ten Commandments. And let me start off by saying this, the Ten Commandments are our friends. <laughs> Even though the Ten Commandments condemn us and show us that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Savior, still, they're our friends. There's a story of a busload of tourists getting off the bus in Europe to go look over the White Cliffs of Dover in England. Beautiful sight, but they get off the bus and the farmer has put a barbed wire up along the road so they couldn't go and look over the cliff. And the tour guide was upset, and the tourists were too. And, well, what a mean farmer to put up this fence so we can't enjoy the view now. That They didn't know, though, that when the fog would come in, before the fence was up, sometimes tourists would look over the cliff and walk to their deaths. So it wasn't hatred that put up the fence. It was love that put up the fence. And listen, the reason God gave us the Ten Commandments was not to take away our fun, but to give us fun, to protect us. So the Ten Commandments are good. They'll give you enjoyment of life. They're good for you. Today, let's look. We're going to go all the way back to 1300 or so BC when Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And we're just going to go through the Ten Commandments. Would you take out your Bible? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And today let's walk through the Ten Commandments. Let's pray first. God the Father, we do want to pray that your Holy Spirit will just put the Ten Commandments before our eyes now. May we see them as our friends, as our way to health. And Lord, even though we can't be saved by them because we, we break them more than we keep them in thought, word, and deed, and they show us our need of our Savior Jesus, they're still our friends. So Lord, speak to us now through the Ten Commandments. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words to Moses, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you, Jews, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Here's the first lesson today. The first commandment is the most important one. No other gods. And what I want you just to stop and ponder for a minute is this. What is it that is competing for place number one in your life right now with God? Let me repeat that. What is it that is kind of pushing God off his throne and sitting on the only place that God deserves in your life? I think what, what I want to urge you to do, and I urge myself to do, whatever is competing with first place in my life, let's push it off the throne, be it TV or entertainment or this person or this relationship, whatever it is that's crowding God out of your life, let's deal with that so God doesn't have to deal with it. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them, these false gods, or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Did you hear that? Here's the next lesson. You don't break the Ten Commandments. They break you. I remember hearing somebody say, nobody has ever broken the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments stand as firm and as solid as the day Moses brought them down the mountains. No, if you go against the Ten Commandments, you don't break them. They break you. And my guess is, I know I can, and probably you too, can think of a time when you broke one of the Ten Commandments and you didn't break it. It broke you. Remember, there are friends, and if you keep them, you get blessed. If you break them, you don't break them. They break you. Let's look at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Here's the next lesson. Get, oh my God, out of your vocabulary. When I was a little boy, you didn't hear, oh my God, on TV. I remember when it started, though, back about 1970, the Mary Tyler Moore Show started saying, Oh, my God, and they left it in. Now you can't watch TV for, for five minutes without hearing, Oh, my God. And, you know, I was with a group of Christians recently, and to hear two or three of them say, Oh, Lord, Oh, my God, even, even to say, Jesus. I mean, listen, Christian, we don't take the name of our Lord, our God, in vain like that. I was watching some TV preacher a while ago. In the middle of his sermon, he says, My God! No, you don't. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If you're saying, Oh, my God, and you're praying and you're meaning it, fine. But most, for most people, it's just an expression. Look at verse 8, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's the next lesson. Keep the Sabbath. 
the, the Sabbath is a wonderful gift from God. God says, one day a week, I don't want you to work. I want you to enjoy me, see me as your greatest treasure, enjoy me, your family, take a day off, and, and seek me, enjoy me, and, and do what I put you on the planet to do. Glorify the Lord. But you see, it takes crazy workaholic Americans to say, you mean I can't work every single day of the week? And the Bible would say, why would you want to? Take a break. Enjoy life. And it's because we've gotten away from the Sabbath that America's kind of a mess. I, way back in 1981, I moved to Minneapolis. Back in 1981, if you drove by the shopping malls, they were empty. Now everything's open on Sunday. America has one of the highest divorce rates in the world. We have the third highest divorce rate in the world. We have lots of nervous breakdowns. We have lots of alcoholism, broken families, etc., etc. Why? One reason is we don't keep the Sabbath. We hurt our health when we don't keep the Sabbath. So everybody observe the Sabbath. And now some of you have to work on Sunday like pastors have to, but I'll tell you what old Pastor Force told me when I came to Minneapolis way back in 1981. He said, Tom, your Sabbath is Thursday. That's your day off because you have to work on Sunday. But on Thursday, I don't want to see your foot in the parking lot of this church. You stay away and you just rest on your Sabbath. That'll make you healthy. Look at verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Here's the next lesson. Obedient children live longer. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. There are some wonderful children who die early, and there are some spoiled brats who live to 95. But the, the fourth commandment here is the general principle that is overwhelmingly true. If you obey your parents, you live longer, which, which simply means... If your parents tell you not to do drugs and alcohol, and you don't, you'll live longer. If your parents tell you not to have sex before you're married, and you agree, then you don't end up with herpes or gonorrhea or AIDS. So generally, again, again there are exceptions, but generally, people that obey their parents live longer. Look at verse 13. You shall not kill. Killing is all over our American culture. We have one of the highest abortion rates on the planet. We kill every fourth baby in the United States. And I'm surprised God hasn't judged us more than he's already judged us. And now in Washington State and Oregon, you can have, if you're an old person and you have a, a debilitating disease, a terminal disease, you can have the doctor kill you. It's called Physician-assisted suicide. I saw a funny but not so funny cartoon in the newspaper. Here's a, a nurse stepping into the waiting room with a bunch of old people, and she says, the doctor will kill you now. Look at verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is all over our American culture. Do you know that the biggest producer and exporter of pornography is the United States of America? And a lot of people, mostly men, are committing adultery on their wives by sitting in front of a computer looking at things they should not look at. Exodus 20:15, next commandment, you shall not steal. Let me ask you something. Christian, 
are you 100% honest on your taxes? The Bible says pay your taxes. Render to Caesar, unto Caesar, what is due Caesar. Do you do that or do you cheat on your taxes? And even worse, do you steal from God? Listen to this from Malachi chapter 3. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, Lord? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you, talking to the Jews back then. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I do not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, soil etc. So Christians, do you tithe? Does 10% of your money go to the Lord? If not, according to Malachi chapter 3, you're stealing from God. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, don't lie. It is so easy when we're talking about a dispute for us to just twist the truth a little bit to make ourselves look better. <laughs> and, and I want to encourage you to do what I do kind of regularly. Often in the morning I will pray, God, control my tongue today. Please, God, help me control my tongue. May I speak truth and not twist things. Exodus 20, 17, last commandment. You shall not covet. That means strongly desire. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet her, his wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting means it's like, I just I can't live unless I get a nice car like my friend has. And coveting is killing teenage girls. I can't live unless I look like that model in Seventeen magazine. And the problem with coveting is you get so worked up in what everybody else has, you forget all the wonderful things God has given you, and you waste your life coveting. <laughs> all right, quickly, those were the Ten Commandments. Now, again, the Ten Commandments don't save you. Actually, the Ten Commandments damn you because they show you how in thought, word, and deed you've sinned against God by breaking those commandments. You need Jesus. You need the Savior. So the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show you your sin so that you run to Jesus for salvation. Um, nevertheless, the Ten Commandments are your friends. Keep them and you'll be much more blessed in life. Break them and no, you don't break them. They'll break you. Now, let me just close by telling you what I thought of. My dad was a Catholic, and he went to church every Sunday. But growing up in my house, my dad kept boxes of pornography in the garage. I found that stuff when I was 10 years old. Talk about how to mess up your kids. Well, ah, I think my brother found it too. Anyway, when I was 18 years old, my dad was told, you have a brain tumor, you won't live for a year. And immediately, all the pornography was out of the house. And dad lived a little over a year. But I think my dad saw a connection between his pornography and his brain tumor. <laughs> and and here's, here's my final point to you. The Ten Commandments are your friends. The most important one is to don't let any other gods in your life. Make sure God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is number one in your life. And pornography, um, alcohol, entertainment, hobbies, sports, whatever you're letting be number one in your life, 
push it off the throne so God doesn't have to do something drastic to you to get your attention that he needs to be God and nothing else in your life. I want to close by asking you to do something this week. Would you do one of these three things? Let me put them on the screen. Here we go. Number one, would you do this for seven mornings? Next seven mornings, pray, God, control my tongue today. Or would you do number two? Next time you're tempted to be jealous or covet what somebody else has, stop then and say, God, thank you you've given that to that person, but thank you for giving me, and then fill in the blank. Or would you do number three? Um, if you are not tithing, if you're not giving 10% of your money to the work of the Lord, start doing it and see if God, Malachi 3, doesn't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Those are the Ten Commandments. I encourage you to pray in the morning for your tongue. Start giving 10% to the Lord. And number three, when you're tempted to be jealous, thank God for something. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you've just gotten done talking about the Ten Commandments. Is there anyone that can live without breaking the commandments? Uh, no. I mean, uh, Jackie... I remember meeting a, a guy at a Bible camp, old man, and he went to a holiness church. And I don't doubt that they're Christian people, but he told me he hadn't sinned for years. And I said, look, if I go for five minutes without sinning in thought, word, and deed, I think I'm doing pretty good. What do you mean you haven't sinned for years? And he had kind of redefined sin. And, and Jackie, you know, you've never killed anybody probably, but... Jesus said, if you've ever hated someone, in your heart you've killed them. Uh, and, and actually, that's in uh, one of the epistles. So in thought, word, or deed, we regularly sin. So I mean, the only one who never has, of course, is Christ himself. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't. But other than Jesus, even the greatest saints have known themselves to be the greatest sinners. Now, well, that makes you feel a little bit better. Than yeah. <laughs> Pastor Brock, our next question for you is regarding a scripture verse. It's Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Okay. It's where Jesus says that these people cast out demons and do miracles in his name, but they're not really Christians. How can this be? Yeah. You know, uh, let me just read it carefully here. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, uh, perform miracles in your name? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here's people who healed people in Jesus' name, cast demons out of people in Jesus' name, and they're not going to heaven. Why? Because Jesus says they're workers of lawlessness. You know, God can use atheists to do miracles. But if you've never repented of your sin, not that you're perfect, again, we sin in thought, word, and deed daily, but if you never repent of your sin, you're not fighting your sin, you're a worker of lawlessness, even if you go to church regularly and cast demons out of people, according to this, you're not saved. But how does God do good through somebody who's evil? Well, it, you know, uh, Jackie, when I was thinking of being a pastor many years ago, I went to my pastor in Omaha and I said, you know, I think the Lord is telling me to be a pastor, but who am I to preach the gospel? And he said, Tom, if God could speak through Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament, he can speak through you. And Jackie, 
Cyrus was a pagan uh, uh, Persian king, and God used him to get the Jews back to the Promised Land. You know, uh, Caesar Augustus was a pagan Roman emperor. God used the decree of Caesar Augustus to get Joseph and Mary into Bethlehem on time to fulfill the Old Testament that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So God can use unbelievers, but but the the question here is: here's people that say they're Christians and do stuff, but they still go to hell. And I, I, there are false teachers in the church. I'll, I'll give you an example. A very notorious heretic is John Shelby Spong, retired, thank goodness, a bishop of the Episcopal Church in New Jersey. And he goes around the country preaching that he doesn't believe in the Trinity. He doesn't believe Jesus' death is the atonement for our sins. He doesn't believe Jesus physically rose from the dead. I mean, you name it, he doesn't believe it. But he says he's a Christian because I believe in the compassion of Christ. Well, what does that mean? I mean, atheists believe in being compassionate. So just because somebody is a bishop or a pastor or says they're a Christian, and even if they do miraculous things, if they're disobedient in thought, word, and deed to the scriptures, you got to wonder, are they saved? And, and, you know, when you, again, we all sin, but do you fight your sin? Do you repent when you sin? Or do you live in impenitent sin? If you're living in it, According to Jesus, I think Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 and 20 to 23, they're very sobering. They, they show us mm -hmm. that we need not to just say we believe, we need to truly believe and live it. It makes it very hard, though, to understand why these things are happening for people who are maybe new to Christianity mm -hmm. and that. Well, I know. When you, when you look at the t some of the TV preachers, Jackie, I mean, I just turned on the TV this morning and saw two TV preachers. You believe... God's going to give you a blessing. You send money to this ministry, you're going to reap your... your I'm thinking, Lord, please put people on TV that will preach the gospel. <laughs> well, our next question is also about another verse in the Bible, Pastor Tom. Mm -hmm. It's Exodus 24.10, where it says, Moses and Aaron saw God. But in John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God. So is the Bible contradicting itself here, or is this yeah. one of these strange things well, that we've talked about? How do you put it together? Because it does say in, in Exodus 24, Moses and Aaron saw God. But then it says in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God. So what's going on here? I think there's kind of an easy way to reconcile this one. What, what John chapter 1 means, no one has seen God in his fullness. They've gotten glimpses of God. But even in Exodus, if you remember, God uh, says in, uh, later in uh, uh, chapter 33, God appears again to Moses, and God says, Moses, I'll show you my back, but no one can see my face and live. So even in Exodus, it's admitting there's a sense in which you can see God, and there's another sense in which you cannot see God if you want to live. So I think that's the way to put it together. Well, and people, you have people who say they, they've seen Jesus, mm -hmm. and Jesus is God, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I mean, are those people just a vision I of think things to come? I, or? Yeah, you know, there are people, I had a lady tell me that she actually had Jesus appear to her in her bedroom. And w was that real or not? I don't know. But let's say it was. But she did not see Jesus in his fullness. It would have been a vision of him. We won't see Jesus in his fullness until the second coming. Okay. Yeah. Um, Another section of scripture that's got people confused is in Mark 2.18, and it's when Jesus, what does Jesus mean about not putting new wine into old wineskins? Yep, this is Mark chapter 2, and let me just read this. Mark chapter 2, uh, 18, 
where it says, uh, now John, John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, why do John the Baptist's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Your disciples don't fast. And no one uh, puts new, and then Jesus answers this, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. I didn't know this, but you know, if you put new wine into new, uh, into, uh, uh, let's see, new wine into uh, old wineskins, it bursts them. So you have to put new wine into new wineskins. And, and the Pharisees are trying to say, and these people are saying, why don't you do everything just like John the Baptist did? Why don't you do everything just like the Pharisees? And Jesus says, something new is happening with my visit to this planet. You can't force me into the mold of John the Baptist. You can't force me into the mold of the Pharisees. I'm doing something new. That's what he meant by the wineskin stuff. And I think our, the lesson for our lives is, Jackie, it's not a sin to sing a song that's not 500 years old. <laughs> I love contemporary Christian worship. I love the old hymns too. I like them both. But if you remember, many years ago when we had the contemporary service at our church, it was World War III because those aren't Lutheran hymns. Well, so? <laughs> you know, nothing's wrong with doing something new in the church. It is wrong if what you do new is, is unbiblical. But, you know, it just we need to be careful what we get upset about and let God do new things. Well, was Jesus teaching and using this as an example? I mean, Jesus told parables yes. where there was contradictions and yeah. things. Yeah. Is this considered in that it, same it's category? It's kind of a parable. You don't put old, uh, new, old wine into new wineskins or they'll burst. So you need to put new wine into new wineskins. His point being, let God do something new. We don't, uh, you know, the famous last words of the church, we never did it that way before. <laughs> That's the sign of a dying church. Yeah. Okay, so it is a teaching tool that yeah. he was using it's a, at the it's time. It's a metaphor. All right. Well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Someone I know was told by her pastor that she couldn't take communion because she's living with her boyfriend. But doesn't the Bible tell us to judge not lest we be judged? I think the most misquoted verse in the whole Bible is judge not lest ye be judged. And people that are sinning love to quote that verse because don't judge me. Jesus said don't judge, so you can't tell me it's wrong to live with my boyfriend. And my response to that is, in the very same chapter where Jesus says, don't judge, he says, you will know them by their fruits. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. Uh, and he's telling us to be fruit inspectors. So, uh, Jackie, what judge not means is, don't think you're better than anybody. Realize you're a sinner who deserves hell too. So we're all, we're all humble. We're all in need of salvation. That's what judge not means. Don't think you're superior. But... Elsewhere in the Bible, it says we are to judge those inside the church. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says there's a guy that was sleeping with his stepmother. Paul says, get that guy to, out of the church. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor's Club. We ask... Would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor's Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430
our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.